Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement. I earned my bachelor's degree in broadcast journalism from the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications in 2003 and later received my executive master's degree in public administration from the Maxwell School of Citizenship and Public Affairs in 2020. You can find our podcast on all of your major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find our podcast at alumni.syr.edu slash Conversations and anchor.fm slash Conversations. What they write is who they are. There's no, there's no distance. So it's so powerful. And when you empower that, when you build their confidence around that thing, you're saying, I'm more confident. I'm more powerful. We see improved academics, absolutely, in almost everyone. We see improved peer relationships, improved family relationships, and certainly our favorite metric of all, 19 years in a row, 100% getting into college. And these are kids where families never had college on the radar. It wasn't even possible. Well, folks, today on the Cuse Conversations Alumni Podcast, I am pleased to tell you the story of Allison Deegan. She is a 1980 graduate of Whitman with a marketing management degree. And currently she has a, a very impressive story to tell working with Write Girl, a writing slash mentoring program in Southern California for young women in grades eight through 12. This is a revolutionary program. It's changing the lives of its participants, but also of the mentors who come in and take these young writers under their wing. Allison, thank you so much for making the time to join us here on the podcast. Thank you. Paint the picture for us. It's 2001. You're living in Los Angeles. You're working on a career in, in screenwriting and, and, and Hollywood. Not quite uh, the direct tie into Right Girl. How did you get introduced to Right Girl uh, in the first place? I got a, uh, we used to have these things called listservs. I think some of them still survive, but there was a listserv for writers. And I just saw this little, you know, two line notice, women writers uh, mentoring teen girls, you know, join us this date and time. So the, the, the story that I love to tell is I, I dug out my actual checkbook and I showed up, you know, just to maybe see some people, meet some people and give them a small donation because I was certainly didn't have time for any mentoring. And I don't even know what mentoring was. I'd never been a mentor and I don't think I really ever had one. And so I went to the first meeting. It had about 10 people there, including another Syracuse grad, Diane Siegel, who's one of our founding board members. And in, in the span of a couple hours, they got me so excited and talked me into, you know, what the what the possibilities might be that I, I just said, I'm in, I'm in for whatever you need. And our executive director, Karen Taylor, who, who is the founder, um, needed a lot of help. You know, it was a brand new idea. Nothing had been done. No, no membership had been gained and we had to do everything. And I because I had done some consulting, I said, well, I guess a nonprofit is my new client. And I drew on. All my Whitman training, you know, marketing, accounting, um, um, how to how to outreach, how to make connections, how to contract, certainly how to do a, a, a communications campaign to get people interested. And before you knew it, we our first season we had about, I think we had about twenty girls, and we learned later that half of them had been. Uh, incentivized, let's say, from their English teacher to come and see what this right girl thing is. They had no intention of joining and almost all of them stayed with us. 
um, by the time our second season rolled around and we were figuring out, you know, how to, how to really expand, we put up a website membership doubled like that. We, we ended our second season with 75 girls and it just grew and grew and grew. And today um, we've, we've had to spend the last year uh, online and we, we've converted the program in really a, just a brilliant way online. Again, drawing on those deep communications tools that we that we built in and um, we're up to about 300 girls about 200 others we serve in an intermittent capacity in, in other types of programs, which I can talk about later. Um, and now, hi, I'm from Milwaukee. Hi, I'm in New Jersey. Hi, I'm in Florida. Hi, I'm in South Africa, Sri Lanka, Japan. And we're just saying, come in girls and we'll figure <laughs> out the rest later. And it's just, I, that was the dream of my lifetime, right? How can we move beyond Los Angeles? And one of the good outcomes of this crazy pandemic is that we've finally done that. But to this day, I'm still, you know, I, I hold the, uh, the, the, the whip about we must be sustainable. We must be audit worthy. We must have our communications comport to all the messaging that we want. There's no lazy communications. All of that comes from my, my early uh, Syracuse training. When you think of, of mentoring, Writing doesn't strike me as a first, even though it should, because any profession deserves that valued relationship of a mentor mentee. What was the need back in 2001 and, and why was it so important for these impressionable, uh, hungry teenage girls to get writing mentorship? Why was this a perfect fit? It's twofold. I think uh, I'm a, a champion of after-school programs or out-of-school time programs, as we call them, because sometimes it happens on the weekend, sometimes it happens in the morning. Um, but in in my field, we call that supplemental education. It's a it's an opportunity when you have them, and you must capitalize on it. You must imbue value. You must build confidence. You must do all of those things that help the classroom, right? That help the classroom maximize education, and so. Um, you can do many, many things. And a phrase that I have is what it, what do kids need? They need everything all the time. That's my phrase. So they can go to a sports program. They can go to a drumming program. They can go to Girl Scouts. They can go to Boys and Girls Club. They need all of those things. But in addition, they need something that is truly assistive. And Right Girl assists in two ways. One is writing, as you said, is universal. It's a necessary skill, whether you're you know, the president or you're, you're, um, you're somebody like me. And so for young people, the inability to write or write well or have confidence in their writing forecloses them from so many opportunities at an age when they need to be grabbing at everything. They need to be trying everything to see who they are, what they love, what they could do in college. And that was always very painful to me. And so we knew that it was, uh, it was an important thing, but we couldn't be school. Why? We couldn't be an extension of school with a red pen and lesson plans and all of that. So we decided to make it very, very fun. And the, the secret that I can't claim that I knew early on, I, I learned it um, in, in our first season that for teen girls in particular, really for all youth to some degree, but for teen girls in particular, what they write is who they are. There's no there's no distance. So it's so powerful. And when you empower that, when you build their confidence around that thing, you're saying, I'm more confident, I'm more powerful. And what we saw, I've, I've done a lot of uh, tracking, a lot of statistics and metrics over the years. That's been another one of my focuses. We see improved academics, absolutely, in almost everyone. We see improved peer relationships, improved family relationships. And certainly our favorite metric of all, 19 years in a row, 100% getting into college. And these are kids where families never had college on the radar. It wasn't even possible. Not everyone is, is uh, you know, going to the Ivy League or to a school like Syracuse. Some are starting a community college. 
but we found a pathway for every one of them mostly because they're just brimming with confidence. And that comes from seeing yourself reflected in your writing on a weekly basis, in the workshops, on a monthly basis, celebrated in award-winning books, performing on, on really esteemed stages. It gets in your head and you're like, well, these people think I'm great. Well, this author said I was the best. Well, these people have read my book and suddenly you get that you have a story to tell, that you have a way to articulate it, that you have a future and, you know, I'll tell you a little secret. This is a little, a little bit of a painful secret. Our first uh, season at Right Girl, we were sort of, what's the programming? What are we going to do with these kids? You know, how are we going to keep them busy? And we, we had a rough idea, but it's been definitely been refined over the years. And our first season, um, one of our, our new mentors, you know, we all just started, said, why don't we take them on a college tour? And I was like, you know, I don't know, what are we going to take them on a college tour? And she, she named the college that she went to as a local college, very, very um, Tony college, if you will. And I said, well, I guess we could do that. So we, we gathered 20 girls and 10 women on a, on a mini bus and we went out to this college and it was a magical day. It was transformative. We met the president, hung out in her office. She had her dog in the office and all the girls are like, this is cool. And all the women are like, why didn't I go to this small women's college? You know, <laughs> we just wanted, we just saw the caretaking was so palpable. We went to a class, we ate in the cafeteria, went to the dorms. We're walking back to the bus. We're just floating. And I was like, this might've been one of the best days of my life. This is so great. And I was like, we need to do this as part of our program. Like we need to talk about college. So on the way back to the bus, one girl was there walking back with her ninth grade. And I said, so this is so great. You know, what about, what about this school? And she's like, no, I don't know. And I said, well, we'll find a school for you. Don't worry about it. And she said, no, no, I'm not going to college. And I said, what are you talking about? You're in ninth grade. My counselor told me I am not college material. And that was a statement that changed my life. Right. I, because guess what? My high school told counselor told me the same thing. That was a devastating uh, thing to hear. And I, you know, tried not to cry on the bus ride home. And then I came to our executive director and I didn't even know what I was saying. I was probably half crazy. And I said, guess what? Uh, we're going to guide these kids into college. And she goes, oh, that'd be nice. I said, no, that's part of our mission. We're going to use this. We're going to use that. And we are going to get them to college. So we enroll our juniors in almost a, a year, a little more than a year long program. While they're in Right Girl, they're, they come to me and then they're with my program. And that's the pathway to success. And we do, we do, we do call it a pathway because not everyone is the same. Not everyone wants the same. Not every family wants the same, but it's been successful because by the time they get there, they've been writing about their lives, some of them for years, and they're just so confident and really willing to believe in a future. The other little asterisk there is they now have access to, and really deep connection with two, 300 professional women from all walks of life, everything under the sun. We have medical doctors in our group. We have lawyers, in addition to very famous screenwriters, songwriters, uh, theater writers, TV writers, journalists. We've got them all, novelists. And they get to meet and see all of these women. I'm always like, no, she's right there. Go talk to her, you know, go and, and, and get your moment and get your inspiration. So it doesn't surprise me why they get in. It's not an easy effort. Believe me, I don't want to minimize it. It doesn't happen by magic. It's a lot of heavy lifting by the team, a lot of logistics. And we've sent about 15 kids to Syracuse over the years. I'm very, very thrilled about that. But that's, you know, that that became not, not necessarily the goal, but that's the outcome. That's what building confidence. That's what building writing. That's what forming community. And that's what implanting possibilities beyond what your dumb counselor who said you're not college material can dream for you. That's the outcome. And when, when you think back on it, it's, it's impressive, the passion that you display for Right Girl, but it also, it's a two-way street. If you don't have 
the volunteers, if you don't have the more than 200 women volunteer writers who are coming in to serve as inspiration for the writers themselves, this doesn't go anywhere because you need the, you need that relationship of the mentor and the mentee. And it it seems like what I'm gathering, Allison, is this is not just a, Hey, you come in, you write about yourself, you become more proficient and then you're done. These are lifelong relationships that are founded. What's the biggest way you can point to that you're able to successfully cultivate these lifelong relationships? What we direct all of our mentors to do, and it's a key part of our program, including our public events where we, we share the work. We learn, we learn a certain genre all day long. And then at the end of the day, we share our work um, is that we must build trust. That's number one. If we don't build trust, we have nothing. We can't give them advice. We can't advise the family. We can't talk about college and we can't really elevate their writing. So we have a long incubation period from mentor to mentee and in our public spaces where everything is positive. And it's not like we're saying, you know, oh, that poorly written thing you wrote is fantastic. You know, it's not like that. It's just like, hey, great. Thanks for sharing. This is great. And we have to coach the mentees to get to what I I like to call it's a magic moment when the youth finally says, what was that thing you were talking about in the workshop about metaphor? Can you explain more? Like, how can I use a different word? And I'm like, our work is done. Now the trust is there. <laughs> now we can actually be critical. Now we can, you know, be a formal editor, a kind and gentle editor, of course. But that is when we can really start to elevate because they feel a part of something that they're not going to get kicked out of. You know, they're not going to get graded on. And uh, it, it, it just imbues them with that trust. And that's when you know, we can, we can lay the groundwork. I think in some, some teachers can achieve that with their students. You know, I had favorite teachers as well, where you really trusted them and took their advice, but they don't have the leave, you know, they don't really hang out with you. They don't, they don't hear all the stories about your family. If they're your biology teacher, there's no, no, no forum for that. So I think we, we, we set up a really good format to share. Then when you do share, we reflect back that that sharing was important and it build, build, builds. And once we get the trust, once you, you know, hopefully can come consistently into our space and see the other girls and see how you appear to them. Um, it's, it's not much more difficult after that. The thing that's difficult is uh, another little saying I have is when you work with teen girls, they bring all their bags with them. They don't leave any bag behind. And, you know, we're, we're in urban Los Angeles for the most part where our, our students are often low income, often first in their family going to college, navigating this crazy world the last couple of years, the last five years, really. Um, so they bring all of that. And, and sometimes their, their challenges are profound. And we need a mentoring. Again, you need to be able to tell your mentor. We need a mentor to then come to Right Girl and tell us. And then we kick in our network of resources and all of that. And our standard is we do everything we can. We can't do everything. We can't, you know, change your family, fund your family, make your family not move to another country or whatever. Um, we can't do many things that are going on in your schools. We can't uh, uh, overrule them or abate them. We don't have that power. But what we can do is continue to build you, build you, provide solutions, suggest alternatives, support you when you try and things like that. So the, the, the trust is the key. When you have trust, you can, you can get a lot of guidance out of a, 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 into a young person and really give them some great options. And so far it's been working. And it's remarkable when you talk about confidence. I mean, this applies to any walk of life. If yeah. you don't start off believing that you can do what you're trying to set out to do. How are other people going to expect you yeah. to have the confidence to deliver in those it's skills? Possible. And, and it, it's just remarkable to hear the progress that you take 
getting these women who do come from embattled backgrounds, they might have strife at the home life to have a hundred percent college. Oh, absolutely. I mean, do, yeah. you, do you have homeless girls who have come to write? We've, We've definitely had a few, just about anything you can, you can consider a challenge has, has come through our doors and we've learned from it. And I'm just, I can't even articulate the depth of my gratitude to those young people who have shared their journeys with us. And I'll just say a little bit about um, probably about 16, 17 years ago, we were, we were, we were a running program. We were great. And we were invited to come to an alternative school. We had never done a school-based program. We didn't want to have anything to do with the school. We just wanted to be um, strictly uh, out of school time. And we were asked to come into a, a special girls school. It's a public girls school, kind of like a continuation school for kids that had been troubled or expelled or whatever. And they gathered them into this new school. It was called the Destiny Girls Academy. And we were so excited. And, and then we found out that they were, um, we call them critically at risk, right? Uh, the, the term at risk is, is, is a bit of a pejorative these days, so I don't appreciate it. But um, they had manifest issues compared to the average uh, young person you'd meet in Los Angeles. And so they were, they were providing additional services to them. So we developed a program for them. We brought a group of special, specially trained mentors to go in there weekly. So we started there and that ended up, we're now, we're now, you know, 17 years later, we consistently do programs to these kinds of populations, incarcerated youth. We've done programs for incarcerated youth for more than a decade, pregnant and parenting, expelled, you know, all kinds of things. So that's our, our sort of our companion program. And that is a co-ed program. And we call that the Bold Ink Writers when we work with them. But we view that as a, as a key companion to what we call our core program with, um, with the teen girls. And believe me, I was the naysayer. I was like, we're going to go into a juvenile detention hall and do right girl like that. That just doesn't even happen. And I had to be brought along. And now I got to say it is amongst the proudest achievements of my life. The fact that you, over 19 years, every single one of your program participants has attended and gotten a college acceptance and gone on to college, that's remarkable. What does that do for you, thinking about the humble beginnings in 2001? If someone had told you, you're going to form this life-changing organization, get involved with them, and all of your graduates will go on to better themselves through higher education, I mean, could you even fathom something like that? No, I couldn't have fathomed it. When we look at society... Uh, and this has been sort of from my background, just from my lifelong experience. When we look at society, let's pick and choose whose gifts, whose contributions we don't need. Who do we not, not care if we get what their, what, what their best is from them? And the answer is nobody. We need everybody. We need everybody to give the best that they have. Or on some days we question whether we'll survive, you know? And so I looked around at these young girls and they were, they came together in, in, in such a, an organic way Did I ever think it would be like this. Of course not. You know, you don't, you, you went, when you're in the, in the weeds and you're working and, you know, I just, I did all this in my spare time, in addition to trying to make a living and trying to do my own creative work. So it was always not easy. Even today, it's not easy. Um, I certainly didn't imagine the success of someone like Amanda Gorman, who is, I was going to, I was going to segue to, yeah. uh, the fact that, you know, you're talking yeah. about notable alumni and it must've been such an unbelievable moment of, of joy yeah. and pride on inauguration day, Amanda Gorman, powerful Absolutely. poet delivering the hill we climb at president Joe Biden and vice president Kamala Harris's inauguration in DC. Okay. What was, can you even summarize what that experience was like and what Amanda was like to work with, with right girl? Amanda, Amanda, what I've, what I've told everyone is, and this is not 
a media story. This is the truth. At 14, she told me she was going to be president. That's just true. She knew it back then. And we're like, oh, that's very nice, dear. You know, that's great. Go. Um, but she was a little slip. She and her twin sister, Gabrielle, who's an award-winning filmmaker who just graduated from UCLA. Um, we had them both. We're so, so fortunate to have them both. And she was a little, just a little slip. They're, they're, they're both mini, mini. But what was never mini, even though she had some speech challenges, which were, you know, they were clear at the time um, when, we, when we were first getting to know them, the words were never many. The words were just mighty from day one, even in a very faint voice, which grew and grew and grew. She's certainly not faint today. But um, she, we, we looked at her and we were like, uh, you, you're somebody who has a chance to actually be a professional poet, which, you know, is a challenge. Most of them have to be professors or editors or whatever. It's not, not a lot of a, of a deep living to, to be a poet. And I was like, man, your stuff is great. Your stuff is so profound. And, you know, we, we, we nominated her for the LA's first Youth Poet Laureate. And that was sort of the start of the public journey. Um, and when I, I'll, this is the other fun story I'll tell, is when I was where I worked with her, of course, and her sister on their college applications, they did many, many, many applications because they were looking for a full scholarship, which is, you know, what we always hope for, for all of our girls. And um, we were filling out her, her, her common app and you have to list all your activities. And one of the things that girls always do is they, you know, list the XYZ club. And I'm like, well, guess what? The reviewer is not going to know what that is. You have to tell them, you know, a social, social justice club or whatever. It doesn't matter the exact name of it. It matters that somebody knows what you did and what you're passionate about. So we're trying to list all of our activities. And I'm like, wait, you just have too many here. And I said, just, just give me an average day. And like, she says a weekday or a weekend. I said a weekday, just give me an average day. And she started listing them all. And I'm looking and I literally had to go get a calculator so I could add up. I'm like, uh, this is looking like 18 <laughs> hours in a day that, you know, nobody's going to believe that we started looking and it, true story. It came out to 17 and a half hours in a day including sleep, including riding the bus, because they had to ride the bus everywhere. Um, but that was Amanda in high school, right? So I certainly had no, no surprise whatsoever with her success at Harvard and her, her literary credentials certainly guided her to be the, the nation's first youth poet laureate. The inauguration was a bit of a left curve. When we found out about it, we we're like, oh my God, of course that makes, makes perfect sense. And I was actually ill-informed. I thought there was a poet at every inauguration. I didn't realize it was such a big deal. And then, you know, a further deal uh, because it was her and because of everything that she could represent with her words and with her presence. And um, uh, the, 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 I, am, I am still able to text with her. Uh, so I, I'm glad about that. But the world has just swirled in and we're just so thrilled to see it. The, the thing that was the most profound for me, to, I had two, two visions there. One was, I imagine, all of the right girls, because we certainly guided them all to watch. All the right girls are watching and just in awe. And the other was, you know, I'm a, I'm a resident of this country, too. And I've been through a lot the last few years. Been a, been a great turmoil for anyone who works in, in public service uh, to weather what's gone on. Anybody who works with beautifully diverse populations to see the assault that they've been under. So just as an American, you know, with whose own family has an immigrant background and all of that, I was just, oh my God, this is what I needed to hear right now. So that really took me by surprise because I'm always like watching with this eye, but then strategizing with that eye. I'm, I'm, it's hard to get in the moment sometimes and just experience the art of it all. 
but I was able to do that. And I just cried like a baby. And it was, it was really funny. A friend sent me a clip. Then the Super Bowl came along. Right. And I told her, all you need to do now is appear at the World Cup final. And then everyone on planet Earth will have seen him. But a friend sent me a clip of, of uh, Jimmy Kimmel talking about the Super Bowl. And he goes, I never thought I'd say the phrase, be quiet. I'm trying to watch the poem at the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, yeah. So already, you know, she's 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 transcending, you know, uh, expectations. But they are they are of the age. They're of the era. They're the perfect people that we needed at this time. And uh, the brilliance of selecting her and giving her that showcase again was was epic. And I'm, I'm just I'm just glad I like to say I'll just hold your purse while you go do what you do. I'm just glad to hold the <laughs> purse and, and continue. But certainly her prominence and the way that she's reached people has sent us uh, many more girls. And we're trying to navigate that. We're, we're on the hunt for significant funding so we really can be at first national and then have a global presence as long as they can deal with the time differences and, and communicate to some degree, maybe not entirely, but to some degree in English, um, uh, we, we, we want to welcome everyone. We don't want to limit that capacity. And we're, we're, we're looking to create pods in other cities. It'll still be digital, but we'll be grounded in another city. We, we, we have a whole list of, of cities that really have significant need um, in their social infrastructure. And we know the girls are there. They've been emailing me since day one. I used to hi, I'm in Milwaukee, what can I do? And I'd spend like, you know, an hour trying to find some Barnes and Noble poetry workshop or whatever for you to go to. Parents would reach out about their sons. What can I do with my son? I'd find a program for him. So we, we love the idea that the program for all these people who continue to reach out can be our program. It's just, we've got to build the infrastructure because as I said, mentoring is very, very labor intensive sure. um, to do it right, to do, to do, you know, to do the benefit by the youth and, and keep the mentor engaged. It's a, it's a significant enterprise, but yeah, Amanda, the swirl is still real. You know, I know it's like uh, almost three months later, the swirl is still almost unreal. Yeah. I find it really, I find it really fitting and appropriate that you and right girl, all the volunteers are changing these young women's lives. You yourself had your life changing experience and your formative years at Syracuse university. Yeah. How can you describe just what impact SU had and how, and how it changed your life? Well, one of the one of the really quirks of my journey into Syracuse was that I went to the school of management almost by default. You know, what does what does an 18 year old know what management is? I didn't even know today they have much more cognizance of what what that kind of stuff is. But back then, you know, we didn't even have the Internet. If you can imagine the time without the internet, <laughs> how did we live and no cell phones? I don't even know how I survived. But um, so I was it was my mother's suggestion. And I was like, by the time I got there, I was like, this was dumb. Why, why do I want to study history or I want to do this and that. Um, but I, I ended up, you know, cleaving to it and really seeing that it was the pathway for me. And then later in my career, I molded into it, it into management of public entities, right, as opposed to um, um, private entities. And so it fit really great. It's great training. Anyone who runs a nonprofit should, you know, have an MPA or an MBA or some some grounding in, in management, I believe. Um, but one of the things that, that came out really, really clear to me when I, when I was just a, you know, first semester freshman was how, how much I love the arts, but I never knew I could be a writer. I didn't even know where writers came from. You know, I didn't have any of that guidance as a youth. I loved music. I loved art. I loved writing. So I fell in with a group of really creative people and it was always this tug, like, 
I wish I could go to art school. I wish I could go in the film program. I wish even I could go to Newhouse, but I was sort of locked into my program and I just didn't have the confidence to explore those creative spaces. But it remained, you know, amongst the highlights of my life. I was on the committee that did all the concerts. So I got the exposure to that. And I, I worked, I don't, I don't know if this entity still survives. They used to have on, on the campus, this group called Spectrum. So it was, uh, it was a, an art store, a travel agency, and a record store. Remember records? Now they're back in fashion. But a record store. And it had, had one other thing. Um, but it was nonprofit. And it was all run by the students. And uh, so I worked at a nonprofit record store. If you can imagine such an <laughs> animal. So the prices were so low. And, and then <laughs> with that, with the concerts, I was just really, really, really involved in the arts. And that remained a passion for me. You know, I had a very meandering journey to get back to that, and, you know, to, to have the confidence to be a creative person myself, which I am. But um, that was where it all came together. Cause I grew up in a really rural, I started in New York city, but then we moved to a very rural town and, you know, me and my siblings were the rebels who would who would uh, uh, drive into you know Madison Square Garden to see see top concerts, but nobody else did, and certainly none of that culture came to where we lived. But it was always an abiding passion, and at Syracuse, it was everywhere. There were so many venues, and and I was a, a student who at that time it wasn't so un, so usual where I did a lot of exploration of the city of Syracuse, which is a very different city than it looks like today. But um, there was just so much art and culture to be found there as well. And other than during the snowy periods, uh, uh, you know, central New York is just a, a really magical place to grow up in terms of landscape, the painting, you know, the, the, the history of, of art creation. So that really, really grounded me. And I, I spent many years trying to figure out how do I work in that if I'm not a painter, if I'm not a singer, you know, if I'm not an actor or a dancer, how do I affiliate with the arts? And it turned out, you know, Right Girl was the way that um, I gathered back to that, but it's always been a passion. I never knew I would play a role advocating for youth arts. Um, I think I found my calling, you know, that's, that's sort of the best place for me to be. And what all of our mentors say, because the mentors participate in the workshop too. They one-on-one, -on -one, they sit alongside their, their mentor. And if a mentee doesn't have a regular mentor, because some can't, they can't, they can't, they don't have the time because they're too busy with other activities or family obligations. We have a thing we call mentor for the day. So you walk in and you say, I don't have a mentor. I'm like, okay, you're with Sally. And you two go and you, you meet each other and you explore. But what all of our mentors tell us who are writers of every fashion under the sun is that it's inspiring for them. It's edifying for them. It builds their own confidence. They get to write a song when they're, you know, they're a screenwriter. They never wrote a song before, or they're a marketing writer. They never wrote a poem before. So it gets them to explore other, other genres and, you know, have the courage to go there. And the mentor is sitting right alongside seeing that. So that's, um, I, I, I credit Syracuse with exposing me to the arts and showing me both the fun side of, you know, discovering punk bands or whatever. And then the formal side of presenting arts as a key um, investment of the university for the students. And it's, you know, everything from classical to avant-garde was there, right there on the campus or nearby. And that commitment is something that to this day is still very, very special to me because I would never have encountered it otherwise. So that, that it turned me into, uh, 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 I was already a lover of art. It expanded my horizon. It turned me into somebody who could be a champion for arts programming, which we know, you know, nationwide is, is underfunded and under siege to a degree. Um, but yeah, that's basically the core of Right Girl. Creativity matters. Creativity is your core. What do we need to do to support your creativity? We will find a way. 
we we recently uh, celebrated Syracuse University's 151st birthday as part of National Orange Day, and it was great to see yeah. all of the interactions on social media using the hashtag BeOrange. Uh, what does it mean to you, uh, Allison, to be a proud alum of Syracuse? What, what does that mean to you? It means a lot because when I talk to my kids, I tell them certain things mm-hmm. like I met the best friend of my life freshman year in the dorm. We are still together. She lives in California now. She's up, she's up in Sonoma County. But I, what I tell them is going to college, being part of that system, being part of an alumni network that you are instantly welcomed into, um, even as a newbie, um, is when you start to become who you are. And your parents do a great job. They raise you, for the most part, parents do a great job. They raise you. They, they ground you in family. They ground you in community if they can, if they have the means. Um, but then you've got to go be who you're going to be. And your life starts to be defined by who you select to have in it. You become part of something that is, you know, when's the last time you wrote your high school on your resume, right? Never but you always write your college. It's, it is part of your permanent record. And it's when you start to make those forays into those hopefully intersecting circles of who you're going to be, what you're interested in. And they really don't have to come together. Your artsy friends don't have to know your marketing friends, but at the end of the day, you know, you have to become who you're going to become. And it starts at a place like Syracuse where people are coming from all over the world, really, but all over the country for many, many, many different reasons. And you meet them at both their most challenging time for many, but you also meet them at their best time. And what I, what I, what I say to my, to my girls as well, my kids, is that this is where you're going to become who you are, but this is also where you're going to know who you are not. So the exploration of all of that, the bonding, the community, being welcomed as an alum from people I've never even met. I have walked into a job interview, somebody who's taking me from the waiting room, bringing me in and said, a Syracuse grad too. And I was like, this is going to be great. You know, just, just that instant, you know, affinity really that, and that, and that uh, connection I've lived it. So when I talk to the girls about what I'm trying to guide them toward why it's worth it to do these applications and see if you can get funding and see if you can go afar. It's because I know, I know what it did to me. The college student thinks they're entirely independent, but you know, as parents and caretakers, we know you're, you're okay. So it's the, it's the perfect gap between being a, really being a young person and being a young adult. It's an experience that can really give you all the tools that you need. And I think, you know, for the most part, when I reflect on my own experience and how I've watched very carefully over the years, Syracuse is certainly doing a great job. But um, I do think that I had probably not a unique experience. I think I had a very typical experience, but a profound one and an important one that I do wish, I wish a version of it for every young person who goes to college. And now we have, I forgot to mention, we have about, I think we have 1400 alums at this point. 14 or uh, we don't have the exact number because some only stayed with us uh, for a short time. We have about 1400 alums. Our alumni network is not to be stopped. That's something that we've recently really put a lot of uh, time and energy into. And oh my God, I never envisioned, you know, the right girl army, a thousand young women out there changing the world, but they really are. My own mentee, we've been together 20 years. Her name is Lovely Umayam. She is a nuclear nonproliferation consultant and, and researcher and diplomat, you know, from our little writing program. And uh, she's, she's literally changing the world, right? She's like a daughter <laughs> to me. I, I love her dearly. And we're still very close. Um, but, you know, who, who could have thought that 
would be the outcome. And we have 1400 versions of that, right? Where they're all doing just incredible things. And that's the real legacy of Right Girl. You know, and Amanda is certainly included in that, in that uh, number. So we have 1400 Amandas really. And I never envisioned that. I never knew it would grow to that. And I, I knew they'd get older, I guess, intellectually, I knew they'd, they'd age, but I just never, never had the vision until, you know, uh, we were, we were a few years in of what the alums uh, could become and what their trajectory would be and, and ultimately what they could contribute, because believe me, they all want to contribute in, in one way or another. We have a few alums who are mentoring. Oh my God, the Red Girl mentors never <laughs> thought that would happen. So it's just been, um, you know, right from the campus, my campus experience to helping to deliver for them their own campus experiences and everything else that they will do in the world. It's really a, an incredible thrill, incredible thrill. Yeah. I love your passion. I love the passion you bring for Right Girl. I love the fact too that you would have been the perfect candidate for a program like Right Girl back Absolutely. in the day with your with your creative writing, with your desire Absolutely. to expand and enhance yourself. But the fact that you can pay it forward and have more yeah. than 1400 of these young yeah. girls who evolve and become the people that they want to be and have that confidence and go on to college and change the world. It's really inspiring. And Allison, I've really enjoyed our time here chatting on the podcast. I wish you nothing but the best. I can't wait to see what the thank future you. is going to hold for yourself and for Right Girl. No, thank you so much for, for, for taking the time. And to all the alums, I would say Right Girl shares the spotlight with everyone. So I invite you all to, to be, even in the smallest way, to be supporters and uh, support all of our girls going forward. We need them at their best. We need them confident. We need them out there on the front lines, really fighting what may be a generational battle to make a better world for all of us. And it's a great place to start and to, to feel included in, in our movement. So I welcome you all to, to, to join us and, and support us. And thank you so much, uh, John, for taking the time. It's been just a pleasure to talk uh, about all of this and my, my beloved uh, right girls and all that they bring to the world. So thank you. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast. 